0: Can't do it. We'll do it live. Okay. Oh. Nope. We'll do it live! Fuck it! Do it live! I can will write it and we'll do it live! Fucking
1: thing sucks! Yeah. Five, four, three! Watching
2: my, That's of my Hello, hello. Welcome to, Welcome to open wide for some soccer. Right. My name is Sandra right. Talby. Joining me for our bi-annual show tonight, Pablo Mauer, Thomas Floyd. Uh, what's it been? A couple weeks, three weeks? We, we aim to do this every week, and it's we just really, been, uh, really do It's been two weeks, best. I feel like.
0: Yeah. It hasn't been that long. I would feel more of a longing in my heart if it had been longer than that.
2: Yeah, two weeks. Because I, I do remember I had a pretty good line last show where I mentioned that, We were waiting to do a show until D.C. United won a game. And what do you know? We're coming off a week where they won another game. Uh, Two out of three, as a matter of fact.
0: Which is good for uh, playoff positioning now in the Eastern Conference.
2: How are we look? How, how are we looking for playoffs right now?
1: <laughs>
0: I, uh, I but, just, yeah, what's I despise when? Uh, what's DC United's magic number? I mean, there are
3: headlines on the league site already that say things like, you know, DC United look to launch into playoff position. <laughs> <laughs> we all know the the only weeks that matter in the season are like the last four. Not e- not even MLS coaches yet
2: are using we're still in playoff position as an excuse after losses yeah. If, yeah
0: for the record if the playoffs started today dc would play orlando in a knockout round game if they were in the western conference they would miss the playoffs by a lot
2: <laughs> that, that is something on our uh, to-do list tonight uh, to talk about the huge disparity right now between east and west i mean for God's sakes, the Rapids are actually good. Yeah, that home draw
0: against Colorado that seemed like a pretty poor result for D.C. United,
2: no doesn't seem too bad. It wasn't a bad result. It was a very bad, bad, yeah, bad game. I mean, it
0: was a truly horrible soccer game, but, but- apparently they're decent. Decent teams. They're both playoff teams. MLS Cup preview?
2: Yeah. <laughs> well, Colorado didn't even have uh attacking midfielder Jermaine Jones in their <laughs> roster, so classic number ten.
3: Uh we're we're doing something a little different tonight, right? We got uh <clears throat> probably our first ever uh NA well no, not probably our first ever NASL uh <laughs> segment. Gonna be joined here momentarily by oh, yeah, New York. Cosmos. Wrong oh, it's Yeah, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> we going to be joined you momentarily by uh, New York Cosmos uh, Chief Operating Officer, uh, Eric Stover. Uh, talk about all things Cosmos, uh, their ongoing season, stadium search, future plans, etc. Excited about that?
2: Yeah, I mean, we, we we talk plenty of MLS on this show. Uh, we talk plenty of USL with uh, Long Tan being a part of that league. Six so,
0: degrees of Rochester Rhino. Six
2: degrees of Rochester Rhino. So, yeah, we're encompassing the entire American soccer pyramid. <laughs>
3: uh let 's not call it a pyramid <laughs> I don't, anyways um, what do you guys want we should probably start out with some d United, though
2: yeah let's uh let 's give out the uh the call in number for anyone who's interested in seven
3: oh eight l t o w f s s whatever that translates to in, in numbers uh obviously taking your calls all all night long aside from the Stover segment <clears throat> yeah'll be consuming that phone line
0: can we can we block calls while that 's going on what happens to them? <laughs> Do they just get a busy signal?
3: Uh, I think they go to the open wide for some soccer voicemail. Ah, okay. Uh, feel free to leave us a message.
0: I kind of like the open wide voicemail.
3: Yeah, it's less threatening than talking to any of us live. So, Have we gotten any messages recently? I don't believe so, no. That's too
2: bad. We need to tweet out that number at all times. I think... Ideally, we should get that out there during MLS Saturday nights, and hopefully, we can get a few drunken, disgruntled fans <laughs> of various MLS teams calling in. Exactly. Uh, let's get on that for next week. Yeah. Um, so let's let's get to DC United. Um, so the way the season started, you guys, I, I don't think we would have predicted sitting here and having DC United one two out of three games, let alone two out of three games by a 4-0 and then 3-0 scoreline. Um, maybe some uh, late stat padding going on. Uh, two late goals against Vancouver turns a 2 nothing game to a 4 nothing game, and then a one nothing game against New England quickly becomes 3 nothing But there, there were definitely some positive signs.
0: I, I'm curious what you guys think of that. So seven goals in three games – Uh, in this three-game homestand, would seem to indicate a bit of an offensive outburst and some progress on the attacking end for D.C. United. But a lot of those goals came in the dying moments of games that they pretty much had in hand already. Is it it a good strategy? It reminds me of
3: an an, an, uh, interaction that Seth had with Chris Wolf in the locker room where (laughs) Seth... It was uh, after it was uh, – they just lost uh, to – to the Toronto. 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 And Seth yeah. so said, you know, does, this, does it make it sort of more of a letdown that you guys just came off as sort of, you know, great performance against uh, Vancouver? And Chris just said, I mean, was it really a great performance? I don't know. I mean – score two late goals that were just kind of like whatever, you know. I mean, he was, so, yeah, he he was
2: pretty angry, but I have to say he to did, the
3: point where he apologized after.
2: Yeah, yeah, he was a little heated, um but I, I I got it because I I think he did have a point. Um DC United didn't play all that much worse against Toronto in a 1-0 loss, oddly enough, uh, compared to a 4-0 win against Vancouver. I I almost think that they they played the best out of those the three-game homestand against New England.
0: In the, the the thing I was going to ask is, do you think this is a actual strategy to have a speedy player like Acosta and a bruiser like Sabo into hold them for the end of games to play this Benny ball style where you wear down your opponent and then you throw these attacking subs at them and pour on the goals late? Or do you think it's just kind of a coincidence that's worked out that way?
3: You may be giving Olsen a little too yeah, much credit. Yeah, come on. What? I <laughs> mean, this is uh, clearly, I think, my opinion of this is, you know, it's, uh, Ben has his preferred guys. He's going to stick with those guys. And I think – Obviously, I mean one thing I will say is maybe Olson thinks that Acosta and Sabario play better, motivated off the bench, and, you know, to try and get a starting spot. I mean, do and, we even know Sabario is ninety minutes fit?
0: Uh, well, what do you go? Like, you went like sixty or seventy, so I guess he's getting there. The yeah. the thing I find interesting, so I went out the to training today, and Olson echoed what Chad Ashton said, which is that he thinks. Acosta plays better with a true target forward, like Sabarillo. And although Olsen went on to say that he's going to, at some point this season, play all sorts of combos. He was like, we're going to see acosta Rolf. We might see Acosta-Nagel again. Uh, He emphasized that Acosta-Sabarillo is probably the most natural duo, and that at this moment, DC United is sort of operating with almost like a, a line change system. You know, you start games with this shifty combination play from uh, Rolf and the Spindle and then you end games with these more individual players, the the target forward and the guy who runs at defenders. And it's it's interesting that they have these different approaches and I'm curious to see how they handle that with the spindle out this weekend. Do you think they just throw Sabo in there? Do you think they find a way to get Acosta in the lineup? Like how do they go about this?
3: I I have no idea. I'm starting to think that there's sort of a package deal.
0: Yeah, that's not kind of what I was getting at. Yeah, yeah
3: and I mean i I, uh, I I think I'm just naturally resistant to the idea that Sabrillo could start because he is pretty good off the bench, and I feel like that's literally why they brought him here last year <clears throat> is to have a big guy in the box when you're trailing, you know, late in the game. So I don't know. I mean, I, I what do you think of a Sabario Acosta starting? You know, starting. Well, also if if not you know who else would you pull off the field to to get a on there
2: it's it's interesting because is d c united scoring these goals late in the game because they are up and their opponent is chasing the game leaving space on the counter or are they scoring these goals late in the game because they're putting maybe their best attacking player i mean let's, in luciano Acosta let's, let's on be honest
3: he said <laughs> two or three balls at this point this year that nobody else on that team could hit. Right. His goal and and two passes that were just absurd. Right. So
2: certainly I think Acosta in his two assists against Vancouver and then his goal against New England is taking advantage of the fact that the opponent is is pushed up a little bit, leaving space on the break. But at the same time, he hasn't been getting a lot of minutes and he's still been producing a lot. And you can't help but wonder if – you know, his first three starts, he didn't do much. But maybe he was getting more adjusted to the speed of the league, to the U.S., to the lifestyle, et cetera, et cetera. And and maybe now he's at the point where he's a little bit more adjusted. And if you actually gave him some starts with Sabario or anyone else next to him, then uh, he might do a little bit more.
3: It sounds All like right. we have a call. We do. Let's uh, let's move on momentarily. I think we're joined here by eric stover cosmos c o o eric how you doing
1: very good how are you guys doing
3: we're all doing great um, so you know we, we sort of have to we, we sort of have to start out with this because obviously there's a a, a massive well I, I we can't even really call it a rumor anymore because it's concerned or it's it's uh, confirmed um that you guys are in talks with um with toddy um you know i guess if you could if you could start out by telling us how did that come about? I mean, did his people reach out to you guys, or have you guys had an eye, you know, on that at, as a
1: potential move? Uh, well, we're starting out with a good one, I guess.
2: <laughs> um, Straight in the fire. Yeah. So.
1: Yeah, Gio, our head coach, is a, you know, really fantastic individual, and he knows people all over the world, Um, and we've, Gio, has been speaking to Totti for two years, Um, and um, the great thing about Gio is he speaks four or five languages, including Italian, Um, and uh, so he can relate with people in in a lot of different ways, you know, most importantly on a, you know, a a human level, good friend and good person. So I've been talking to to Toti for a while, um, but the the honest truth is I think it's really unlikely uh, under the circumstances we're at our uh, maximum with international players. Um, in fact, we're one over. A uh, very good center back on our team, Reversio, um, did his knee, and so, um, he's been on injured reserve for a while, but he's due back soon. Uh, we're trying to get a player, uh, a green card, so that'll clear up space, uh, and plus salary requirements. So I, I think it's unlikely, um, but you know wonderful players done incredible things in his career still doing it at a, at a very high level um and you know that's the great thing about the cosmos we're able to attract players of that caliber from all over the world
0: now to shift the focus to uh what has been going on the field for you guys you guys are sitting at two and two third place in the in ASL standings right now uh through those first four games, just how have you felt about the way your team is coming together and starting this campaign?
1: Um, I was talking to Gio about this yesterday. I think it's about what we expected. Of course, we threw away four points uh, over the last uh, two matches. Really, we've got to be better at closing out that game in Indy. Um, we did well in the second half we're out playing them on the road you're up a goal you're in stoppage time you got to finish that off and take the three points and we weren't at our best even though we we had a decent game in Minnesota but up a man uh, it's okay to take a point in that circumstance and, and we get caught out again making some silly mistakes so um, but that's kind of be kind of expected. We think we have a very good team. On paper, maybe the best we've had, but we also have a lot of new players in. We still have our core that's been part of our uh, vision when we started this club. You know, I think 10 or 12 guys from 2013 are still on this team and they're regular starters, Uh, but we have a lot of new attacking players and we expected it to be a bit choppy, and it has been. Even the two games we won, 3-0, 2-0, uh, there were moments there where it looked a little shaky. There were moments where, you know, you, we should have put chances away. Uh, so it's still a work in progress, um, but I, we really like our chances. We really like the not only the quality of players that we have, but the quality of people we have.
2: Eric, I'm going to – Shift the conversation again. We're just going to move all over the map uh, because I'm I'm kind of curious as somebody who's involved with running uh, the Cosmos, uh, what you guys feel like you have to offer uh, the New York soccer market that maybe the, the the Red Bulls or NYCFC don't have. Obviously, it's a really competitive market already uh, with with two. MLS teams. I mean, how do you guys try to differentiate yourself uh, in in the New York soccer market?
1: Well, you yeah, know, it's a very good question, and it's not easy, um, uh, especially with NYCFC coming in and and uh, making the big headlines with huge names and Yankee Stadium. You know, all that stuff is is hard for us to carve out our our niche for our club, uh, but. You know, Geo played in MLS um, and was, you know, the academy director for Red Bull for a while. I worked at Giant Stadium for five years, did over a hundred uh, MetroStars games, managing that facility, um, and then was the managing director at Red Bull for three and a half years. Um, and so we came into the Cosmos with. Very, even though we're very different people and very different backgrounds, some similar points of view. And, uh, we tried to take those experiences into the cosmos. First, it's, uh, honoring the legacy. And that's something that every day we talk about, every day we focus on. Um, we can't let down those, those players from the 70s and 80s that did remarkable things and really put soccer on the map in this, in this country. Uh, so that's first. Second is we wanted to be uh, on the field an attractive team. We wanted to play exciting soccer. We didn't want to play what I guess is stereotypical American uh, athletic kick the ball long soccer. We wanted to keep the ball on the ground and, and do it differently. Even. In the face of it being very difficult with teams and, uh, that play very physical and will kick you to the ground constantly or officials that will let that kind of stuff go, that we were going to stick to that, that style of play. Um, and then to be a really open and transparent club that we were going to be active in the community, um, you know, whether it's charitable organizations or, um, establishing what we hope will be the, the best youth academy in the country, uh, to to be really open, transparent, and active in the community, to be what most people would say they would expect out of an independent soccer club. And I think over the last... Three four years, we've done that. We're very proud of our track record. Obviously, we still have a long way to go to to get where we want to get to, but um, we've done everything we said we were going to do, and um, I think there's a bright future in front of us.
3: You know, Eric, I wanted to ask you a question. Um, obviously, one of the guys you know you talked about the turnover after last year. One of the guys you lost was <clears throat> uh, Raul. You know, and there was a it had been sort of the original plan, I think, for him to take on a role, uh, you know, heading up the academy. Um, really haven't heard anything on that recently. Is he still in the club's plans? Uh, is the club still in his plans as far as uh, youth development goes?
1: I think there's a, a chance in the future. Raul's taken a position with La Liga, uh, still lives in New York, uh, wonderful guy. We We did our kit launch with Under Armour in their store in Soho, and he showed up on his own just to hang out with, with the guys and see everybody again. Um, so he's still part of the family. I, I think what's important right now is it's it's a heavy lift to get an academy going, particularly when you don't have your own training facility built. Um, so it's not necessarily about the curriculum and tactics and, and uh, the – you know the ideal of what an academy should be at the moment it's a little bit of the nuts and bolts of uh okay where are the balls? where are we going to practice today, what locker room are we using we We've got to pull all those things together and uh so we're focusing on the the really uh entrenched grassroots guys in New York and Long Island that know that stuff and as we get the the academy going, I think um you know especially when when we've got a training facility, I think there's a real possibility that uh, Raul could be involved on a day-to-day basis. But, you know, he's, he's told Gio, he's told me that he wants to stay involved. I think we'll see him around occasionally. But, you know, now's not the time for a guy with his experience and his stature. Now is the, you know, the, the real dirty work. And I think in the near future we'll see him more involved. At least I certainly hope so. So uh,
3: kind of shift gears again here. You know, I I, uh, I wonder. Um, I was thinking about this the other day. I think an NASL, obviously, the league sort of has a reputation for giving its clubs a lot of freedom, uh, much more certainly than than you know a single single entity style setup like MLS. And it's it's always struck me. You have a sort of wide range of teams. You have, say, the Cosmos, who for all intents and purposes are, you know sort of their online presence, their presence on the field is comparable to a first division side. Then you have other teams in the league, like say Miami FC that seem a little bit more, if you'll excuse the phrase, you know, kind of fly by night. Um, I wonder, I wonder how you feel like the league is sort of striking that balance, what your, what your uh, perception of that is.
1: Well, I, you know, I like the ideal of a club having its own identity and you you know, sometimes you're going to make mistakes. Uh, we've seen that around the NASL. But um, you're also going to really define yourself. And, you know, as I said, I was around MLS for a long time, and everything looked pretty homogenous. I think it's getting better now. I think you can – the uniforms look a little more different than they did 10 years ago. Everybody kind of had the same thing but different colors. Um but, you know, in the in the NASL, you can choose your own kit partner. You can design your own uniform. You can define who you are. And, you know, when I took the MD job with Red Bull, you know, one of the first days I was in that position, I was talking to Ivan Gazidis, and he said, you know, through the history of MLS – DC United has done a good job of identifying who they are. Of course, that was, um, 10 years ago now. And, um, you guys might say you don't like the way it looks right at the moment, but, um, it, but his point was, I'm not sure what a lot of teams in MLS represent. And it's, it's important for the growth of the league to, to get in and identify yourself. And that's, you know that's really at the top of the list of the NASL. It's it's on you to develop your club, your your uh, seating in your community, and it's not you know just sports landscape. What else are you doing in your community? What do you represent? Um, so we you know we have the advantage of the history of the Cosmos, but as I said before, you got to live up to it, and we've got to carve out a, a new path for ourselves. Speaking
2: a little bit about MLS. Uh... Don Garber a few months ago was asked about uh, what kind of a relationship there was between MLS and NASL, and he essentially said in so many words that there wasn't really much of a relationship. Uh, I was wondering if that's kind of been your experience recently with MLS, and, and ideally, you know, in a perfect world for you, what kind of a, rela- a relationship would there be between MLS and NASL?
1: Uh, well, it's definitely not uh, an active dialogue there's I can't speak for Commissioner Peterson and and what he does with MLS but uh, we really don't have any engagement I think on a you know on a coaching level there's a good relationship with our coaching staff around MLS uh, you know I've talked to mark de Grandpre numerous times at Red Bull I don't think there's any real animosity there uh, but you know we're out trying to do our own thing they doing their thing, so is NYCFC. Um, but, you know, for the future of soccer, I, you know, things are going to evolve. They're going to change. I think at some point there's there's got to be a reckoning between the leagues, and I don't know what that means. I'm not trying to 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 make any grandiose statements here. But I, I think you look around soccer around the United States and Canada and you see examples of teams in the third division um, that shouldn't be in the third division. Um, and you see some teams in the NASL that maybe are, are, are struggling and they, they're going to need some help to turn things around. Um, so over the next five to ten years, it's going to be uh, you, you sort of hope that folks rise to the occasion, whatever that might be. It, it, it could be perfectly fine for you to be successful in the USL or successful in the NASL, but What those things actually look like in 10 years I think is going to be very different than what it is right now.
0: You actually touched on my next question a little bit there. As recently as October, the president of the USL talked about pushing that league towards second division status. And I'm just curious, again, from your experience uh within this structure of uh, of american soccer how do you think those two leagues can coexist what is that relationship like if there is one
1: uh there is there is none i think there are teams in um in the usl that it would be silly to consider them um as second division status i, I you know. But there are great examples of people doing things really well. And, uh, we're at this tricky point in soccer in this country where, you know, it's a bit all over the place. You wouldn't look at baseball and say, you know, that AAA team really belongs in Major League Baseball. I mean, you just wouldn't say that because it, it doesn't make any sense. Um, and, but you, you can have these discussions and, um, and it is a little bit, troubling when you see a really great organic story in detroit happening and now you know what's going to go on there and if you're a a soccer purist and, and you want to see as we were saying before clubs with their own identity you just you know i don't know what it's going to look like in five years um but you know this this issue with U.S. soccer and the divisions and not having firm control over it and, uh, you know, we would say you're you're moving the goalposts on us with changing the rules every every year and, and what qualifies and you seem to be making arbitrary decisions on what those rules are. Um, I, you know, I just think it's going to be a very tricky few years before this stuff finds its own level.
3: You know, I, I want to talk to you about uh, the stadium a little bit because I, you know, just as a sort of casual observer, <clears throat> it seems like I read the same piece about the stadium developments every six months or so. And I've been reading it for a few years, obviously. Um, it's been sort of a lengthy process. And, uh, you know, I read a Michael Lewis column that sort of mentioned that if your original bid had gotten approved <clears throat> on time and the stadium const- would had been constructed, you guys would literally be cutting the tape to to open it this spring. Um, you know it's a it's a plan i guess it's had some pretty um, widespread public support uh privately financed where do you guys stand with it right now um you know is there is there any timeline at all on on a decision being made on your bid
1: uh no timeline and michael's right uh we could have played our first two home games in arguably the best stadium in the united states had Things gone to original plan and what uh, the ESD, Empire State Development Corporation, said would be uh, the timeline. Um, it's unfortunate for our club that it's taken this long to get to an answer. Uh, there's no doubt that playing at Hofstra on a lacrosse field, you know, plastic, synthetic field, that that's not what our future is and it's not helping our business grow. Um, and this delay is holding us back. Uh, so it you know it 's very frustrating, but uh you know we believe in the vision we believe that that 's the right location i 'm not sure why it 's taken as long as it has the The thing that I could say that 's positive is we 've had far more dialogue over the last uh six months with Empire State development than we have than we did the first two and a half years. Uh, for three years. Um, things seem to be moving forward. Uh, they asked us to resubmit and recommit to the plan. We've done that. Um, they've asked us numerous follow-up questions, I think three rounds of follow-up questions, and, and we've answered all those questions. Uh, what we believe is that a decision's coming soon, it, um, but we are a little concerned because it has slowed down over the last month or so. Uh, but everything we hear is that let's put it this way they wouldn't have restarted if they weren't going to come to a decision they would have just said you know what we're going to sure. start all over or we're going to scrap this for now uh for esd to say we want you to recommit and when we say we the other bidders as well uh we want you to recommit on on this project and we're going to ask you questions and, and we need your answers i don't think they do that if they're not serious about making a decision so um Hopefully there's a decision soon, but, you know, every day that goes by hurts a little bit more.
3: Yeah, so just a couple of quick questions before we let you go. You know, it sort of strikes me, um, obviously, you guys have, you know, have ambitious plans for the future, and I I have to wonder, you know, when somebody considers a stadium bid like the one you guys are putting up, I feel like the first thing that they might do is look at, you know, attendance numbers or just sort of the optics of where you guys are at right now. I mean, does it make it? i mean certainly that has to be one of the handicaps of playing hofster Hoff- right is uh you know it sort of makes it difficult i guess to sell your product on the on a larger scale
1: uh, yeah so i i get that question and i i think it's it's really ridiculous because what we are now is not what we plan to be. We wouldn't be sticking half a billion dollars into a mixed use development if we thought we'd be playing in front of four or five thousand people That's obviously not what we're trying to do and I could tell you for a fact that you know we have great players on our team um and some legendary players have come through we could we could easily fill field a team of seven or eight. Uh, players of star status around the world. Without question, uh, we turn players away more than we accept them because we're not ready for it. So if we're going into a new building. It's it's going to be up to to us to design this team, design our business around uh, a facility that makes sense for us. You know, if we are selected the preferred bidder, we may go in and say, you know what, we believe in this so much that we're going to build forty thousand seats. We could go in and say, actually, we want to build 15 in the beginning, and we're going to phase it in over time and, and grow as the team grows. Um, but we got to get to that preferred bidder stage to do the research and do the environmental impact studies and, and all the things that go into building a stadium um, before we before we can commit. In, in one real practical experience, I have Red Bull Arena is is twenty five thousand seats. I think it should have been built to twenty, uh, but it's twenty five thousand. That that building can easily, with minor renovations, get up to thirty three thousand. Um, and I think you've probably heard about Philadelphia talking about doing some expansions. It's not difficult to, to move that number up or down, uh, especially at the begin beginning of construction. Uh, so you know, our attendance issues, um, while it's not what we want and it's not where we expect it to be, this delay is a major factor in um, why it's not where we expected it to be at this point.
3: So, you know, I'm going to close with this question. It's sort of a – it's a little bit of a tacky interview question, but, you know, I, I, the three of us were sitting around before the show. And, you know, where in, – in ten years, where do you see the New York cosmos?
1: Uh, it's a good one. And you know, I sort of answered it early. I, I really don't know, and that's not a, a cop-out. I think there's a lot I that has to happen. I think about- – I mean, you look at the the – U.S. women um, filing, filing their claim, I, I think there's a lot of merit in that, and, and there's a lot of questions about how the sport is run in this country at this point, point. Um, and there are a lot of teams that probably aren't going to be around in a few years, and there's some teams that are going to do incredible things. So, how that all gets shaken out, I don't, I don't know. And listen, I'm not an advocate for promotion and relegation because I just don't think it's ever going to happen. If Ted Westervelt became president, replaced Sunil Gulati tomorrow, it's still not going to happen. Um, there's just, you know, you'd be bogged down in lawsuits forever. Um, so I'm not advocating for that. But I think there's going to be a lot of market forces that that, are, that force change, and I don't know what that's going to mean. Um, and some things have to, to play out over time. But the exciting thing is this sport is much bigger than it was 20 years ago, and it's and there's only more and more investment going into it. Um, I'm just eager as anybody else to see what it ends up looking like in 10 years.
2: Please do not give Ted any ideas. <laughs>
1: <laughs> All right, Eric. Uh, <laughs> obviously it's
3: been a pleasure, and we'll, uh, we'll keep a keen eye both on the Cosmos on the field and also – uh, stadium developments and everything else we appreciate it
1: thanks for having me on i appreciate it all right take all
3: right. care thank you you know funny story about <clears throat> eric stover that interview actually came about because i uh pathetically uh begged the new york <laughs> for a uh their gift their season ticket holders which was a a hoodie and uh and eric stover was nice enough to send me one although he did insist that i make a donation to street soccer usa which which i did happily <laughs> but you know, happy we were able to get him on the show.
2: Yeah, I mean, a lot, of, a lot of interesting issues for for those who follow uh, USL and NASL lower division soccer in the US. Um, certainly, as as Eric uh, alluded to, there's going to be some kind of a, a reckoning, uh, right, in the near future. Yeah, I, mean, I can't. We can't support. Uh, a second division and a third division and MLS all expanding. Um, It just seems like too much. And with the MLS-USL partnership, where does that leave NASL? I think there's a lot of big questions that that need to be answered in the coming years.
0: And and I was intrigued to hear from at least his perspective, from his role within the Cosmos, that there is little to no relationship with both MLS and the USL. And yeah, that's... I, mean,
3: I mean, it always struck me as being just on an island, you know?
0: Yeah, they kind of have to... I mean, to a degree, what he's discussing is very positive, that this is a league with clubs that are carving their own identities, but then also, like you said, it... it perhaps creates an environment of isolation that could make things tricky. So it'll be very, very interesting to keep an eye on how the NASL evolves, how the Cosmos evolve and how MLS and the USL are potentially affected by what the NASL does going forward.
2: Right. And the the clubs carving their own identities can be a double-edged sword because it's great to be able to have your own identity and do your own thing. But then you have Miami FC trying to entice... People to come to their games with scantily clad girls, yeah. staring at the camera and beckoning their fingers to the audience. I, I mean, this yeah. is very poetic. <laughs> I, I don't know. I don't even know what what to make of that.
0: So I guess we will shift our conversation for the rest of the show to a little general MLS talk. Which, by the way, while we were recording this interview. Uh, NYCFC scored the goal. I glanced down to see who it was. RJ Allen.
2: (laughs) What? Yeah, I
3: believe he actually scored that goal from the driver's side window of his uh, Chevrolet or his Pontiac uh, IROC Z while doing a donut. It was a nice
0: little combination play. McNamara laid it off for him. It was a nice
2: goal. As crazy as RJ Allen scoring a a goal is, I think it's not even close to the most unlikely development in MLS tonight. And that is Darlington-Nadby. Started a soccer game.
3: Yes, only uh, only weeks after being nearly assassinated by Nigel De Jong.
2: <laughs> I, I, does this mean? I think this means that Darlington Nadby actually came back sooner than Nigel De Jong did.
0: He did. He did in fact.
2: Uh, I and mean,
3: what I would love is I think even uh, either Caleb Porter or somebody said that um, the that De Jong suspension should just be however long Nagby misses. It would have been eye. great if they did that because he'd be back a game sooner than he actually got suspended for. <laughs> yeah, exactly.
2: Uh, yeah, He'll be and
3: back next week, though, to quench his unquenchable thirst for young American blood. You know. uh,
2: I, I mentioned this before, but I'm all in favor of getting a preemptive restraining order for <laughs> Christian Pulisic. Oh, my God.
0: Uh, I don't know if you guys saw this. The Daily Mail has reported that... <laughs> Liverpool is receiving serious uh, threat from Real Madrid and Man- Manchester United in the race to purchase Christian Pulisic. <laughs> this
3: is incredible. Is that a joke? No, that's no, a an real article. Daily Mail report. Of course, it's a Daily Mail, which means that yeah. it's probably like there's a link buried three quarters of the way through it that links to like a fan blog in Azerbaijan that's reporting this. So, you know, that's yeah. Wow. What you,
0: well, what, let's spend the rest of the show deciding which environment would be best for Pulisic. <laughs> Real Madrid, Manchester United, or Liverpool.
3: You know, I think he could learn a lot from Ronaldo. So, I'm not sure.
0: <laughs> I just think Ronaldo would be too threatened. And he's yeah. kind of a prima donna. He probably would see this guy coming in who's clearly going to usurp his starting role. <laughs> and would not take to it kindly. it would cause all sorts of locker room problems.
2: I mean, I think the real answer is is Liverpool, right? I mean,
3: the
0: real answer is he stays with Dortmund.
2: Well, right. I mean, why would he
3: even leave? <laughs> the now? real answer is the Daily Mail is the a real... total hack job of a publication.
2: Yeah. Um, all right. Let's 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 do some more general MLS stuff. Uh, as we mentioned earlier in the show, the East is way better than the West.
0: It is, including uh, the Colorado Rapids are shockingly good right now. Did you guys expect Jermaine Jones to step right in and become the best playmaker in MLS?
3: I mean, I, I tweeted this out earlier this week. I think he's such an easy target for criticism, and he—it's his own fault most of the time. Um, but, but honestly, if you just look at his record in MLS, the teams that when he plays the game, the games that he plays, his teams win. Period you know i mean
2: I, Jermaine would point that out himself on his instagram, instagram when asking for
3: a 65 million dollar you know lifetime contract with the revolution or whatever yeah. you know so no i'm not terribly surprised i mean uh, i'm i am surprised that colorado was winning games especially given the fact that their coach apparently is like operating did you read the quote from like 3 weeks ago he's in on some, some sort of stream of consciousness acid trip or something like that
0: Pablo Mastrooni, it flies under the radar because the Rapids literally are the least publicized team in MLS like they I think they have the fewest Twitter followers they have almost no media coverage apologies to any Rapids beat writers well uh, yeah I don't think Pablo Mastrooni is has always been like that I did an interview with him for our goal.com preseason story last year And the entire thing was gold. He went on, he had tons of quotes that were just incredible, but, you know, it's the Rapids, so people don't know this, that they have this uh, coach who's just this charismatic quote machine.
2: Yeah, I saw he was giving some interviews before this season where he essentially admitted that he didn't know how to coach the last couple of years. Right. Um, And not, not really even in a oh, I know a little bit, and I'm picking it up as I go, learning on the job kind of thing. Like, literally, I didn't know what the hell I was doing and basically just throwing shit against the wall to see what sticks. Right,
0: and if anyone doesn't remember, he was abruptly thrown into the head coaching job when Oscar Pereja unexpectedly left for FC Dallas a couple seasons ago. He actually... Seems
3: to have worked out well for him.
0: (laughs) uh, Masturoni was named the interim coach throughout preseason went to the draft as the interim coach and they didn't make him the head coach until I believe a week before their season opener. So it sounds was a, a bizarre lot like, Sounds situation. a lot like a
3: local coach currently in, in charge of DC United.
2: Yeah. Well, the, the interesting thing with Colorado is if this was any team in Europe and let's be honest, if this was any other team in MLS or at least most other teams in MLS, there would be so much fan pressure that he would have had to have been fired by now after having, Two horrific seasons in a row, but maybe because of uh, what you mentioned, Thomas, that there just isn't that much attention around them. They've they've been able to keep him, and it actually, at least in the early going, seems to be working out.
0: Yeah, they've they've added a lot of interesting players this off season. it, it was like in. Early February, they only had, it was like 19 or 20 players on their active roster, uh, and maybe even fewer than that. Like They, they really had a bare-bones squad, and their plan for this season really it took a long time to kind of uh, come together. But once they signed Gashi, once they got Jermaine Jones, once they announced the Tim Howard deal, uh, you really got a sense for the excitement level with the Rapids, and they've also made a few smarter little acquisitions, guys like uh, Eric Miller and um, uh, Michael azira has been solid enough as a D mid for them. Uh, Marco Papa. So it's uh, their team. Thomas has
3: now named more members of the Colorado Rapids than I could name. <laughs> <laughs> he also gave. Doesn't Marcelo Balboa play for them? <laughs> uh... By the way, the ref. The ref in this. We have the. Pro, we have all the games on in the background here. The ref in this. Portland-New England game, just did a drop ball and from of Nat Borchers, and just the drop ball bounced up to Nat Borchers' chest. <laughs> that's how bad the turf is at Gillette Stadium. <laughs>
2: or that's how bad MLS referees are. They don't even know how to properly do a drop it, probably.
3: ball. <laughs> exactly.
0: No,
2: no that's, uh, that's not exactly what you are supposed to do.
0: For any DC United fans uh, listening, uh, Ethan White has gotten into the game for a, NYCFC a card and immediately already. gotten the yellow card. <laughs> yeah.
2: Uh so Jermaine Jones, as a ten, are we thinking that maybe a little light bulb's got on in Jurgen Klinsman 's head?
3: Oh my God, uh, I must move him from center back.
0: I was saying uh, on Twitter that he's going to uh, J- Jurgen Klinsman his head is going to explode because he 's going to be like, all right, Jones at center back. No, Jones at D mid. No, Jones at left flank. <laughs> no, Jones at attacking center mid.
1: Well, I, um, to be honest,
0: I don't have a preferred system. Exactly. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I mean, I think we have uh, Jones at the 10, uh, with Pielsic as, as as the 8, Bradley as the 6. Copa America champions, there we go.
0: It is what it is. Can I change it anymore? Where's Kyle Becker been? <laughs> Uh, in in reality, I actually, I think they're going to roll with a D mid and then let Bradley and Jones be the, uh, the two like ball winning advanced center mids in front of him.
2: I mean, maybe this was the position that Jones has always desperately wanted to play and has always actually been deep down inside and... Putting him at defensive mid, you can see that he just kind of wants to freelance. He wants yeah. to go all over the place. Putting
0: him at center back, you can see that. When the U.S. <laughs> played Canada in February, as a center back, he was making Bobby Boswell-esque uh runs. I mean, this every this time. is exciting. <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> it was exciting when he when he made an overlap. I I remember this very vividly. When uh, it worked out well.
0: I mean, it was 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 the right thing to do.
2: I don't know <laughs> if it worked out well. He did make an overlapping run on the right flank. Um, Thank
3: you very much to Neil. <laughs> <That's enough. laughs> uh, I feel like the Klinsman soundboard doesn't get enough use, but I just don't have enough useful phrases on it. You I, know,
2: you know I, I think that this summer with, with Copa America, we'll, we'll get a little bit more play out of it. Bullshit. All
3: right. Whatever. Where did Ben Olsen come from? Uh, in, in any case, uh, we, we'll, we'll, let's talk about Philadelphia a little bit. They're Philly, good. Philly, Philly, and I'm going to say this, like I think six weeks ago, I picked them as my surprise out of the East. I looked at their midfield and just thought if they can stay healthy, they can surprise a lot of people. If they can get eight, nine goals out of Pontius, yes, you know, um, I, and – it's It's been pretty shocking.
0: I like the midfield a lot. I actually went into the season thinking, all right, that midfield, I mean, when you've got Barnetta and Alberg and a healthy Pontius and, uh, you know, once Maurice Adu is back, they've been without Maurice Dew all this time mm-hmm. and, you know, have been playing as, as well as they ever have. The thing that surprised me is how well the back line has held up with uh you know a guy guys like Fabinho and Rosenberry who and Yarrow who are unknown commodities, even Richie Marquez and Tribbett have played well. And then up top, CJ Sapong... Has just been a beast. Like he has evolved into a prototypical target forward after playing out wide all those years for Kansas City.
3: I gotta say, and I'm gonna preface this by saying this will never happen, but he's he's a guy who could do a lot of good for the U.S. national team. I think it will. I think can happen. I mean, he had he has. It's not gonna happen happen. anytime soon. Well, you know, uh,
0: yeah. Probably not. He's
3: not making the Coppa Perugia. Right. But
0: I mean, next January, yeah, he should get a look. I think he'll definitely, along get
3: a... with R. J. Allen.
2: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> he deserves a look, and and dare I say, the the U. S. right now at forward is is looking a little deeper than they have in recent years. Uh, at least with the likes of Bobby Wood being in really good form, uh, Chris is in really good form. Uh, Jordan Morgan.
3: Morris has scored two Jordan games Jordan Morris in a row. scored,
2: um, but yeah, I mean, Sapong.
3: He, are we are we ready to see Chris Wondolowski become MLS's all time leading goal scorer and dethrone the man who the league's most valuable player award is now named for? You
0: know, well, I mean, it gets renamed the Chris Wondolowski MVP. <laughs> Dude, I,
3: I I was on Wikipedia and I was trying to find an MVP for a certain year, and the article is now named. Land, the Landon Donovan Major League Soccer MVP award, and it just sounds horrible.
2: Yeah. What, what's, what's amazing about Wandelowski is recently he broke into, I believe, what was it, the top five or the top four? four. Top four yeah. all-time in scoring yes, I think he's about 30,
3: 37 goals or something off the yeah. top one.
2: And I looked it up, and at age 27, he had something like 10 career goals. <laughs> it's, it's unbelievable. Right. Um, Wait,
0: I'm 27. So you're telling me there's a chance I could become MLS's all-time leading scorer.
2: Well, Thomas, I've I've seen you out there in rec league and I think you're more of a right back, but that I think true. that you you could become one of MLS's all-time great right backs.
0: Who is the who is there's, MLS's there, yeah. all-time? <laughs> best Jesus <right> Christ.
3: Back. <laughs> Chris Korb. Yeah. I mean, you know. It, um, it's a weak position. Yeah,
2: well, what, one more point about Philadelphia. Um you know, all this uh, goalkeeper turmoil they've gone through the last couple of years, and they actually had a really good goalkeeper on the roster the whole time. Who knew? That's crazy. John McCarthy? Mm-hmm. No. Try again.
0: Oh. It's not ex-Rochester Ryan those great John McCarthy. I don't know who else.
2: Rice and Bully.
0: Oh, God. It actually wouldn't surprise me if he somehow was still on the
1: roster.
3: <laughs> <laughs> what? Yeah. No, they did. It's gonna take a while for like one of my all-time favorite MLS moments was uh, was reading that he was like training at a remote facility away from the team, but was still on the team. <laughs> yeah,
0: they banished him,
3: and yeah. then the, and then I, I like to imagine that it's just like a grassy barge floating in the middle of the river <laughs> under the bridge, you know, just far enough away to keep him at arm's length, but he can still see the first team practicing. My oh,
0: favorite know. part was. Uh, if I remember this saga correctly, after several weeks away from the team, he returned to training surprisingly, and it was like, all right, they're trying to re-implement Ryze and Bully after you know he had a little break to gather himself and you know uh, think about what he's done, uh, <laughs> and uh, they got like one day into Bully being back, and then the Union were like, nope. Like, all right, we have seen enough. This is
3: done. Uh, you know, I'm looking at what's next. And first of all, the LA Galaxy uh, go from being the worst team in MLS history to throttling. The moment De Jong leaves the lineup. <laughs> is that what it is? I don't think that's what it is. I think it's I think it's Steven Gerrard actually waking up and playing like Steven Gerrard. I think because it's
0: Sadio is much better. than
3: Gerrard has had a very, very good 180 minutes. Yeah. Two games. He's
0: he's been quite good. He's, he's look like
3: the goal was like classic Gerard, just sort of like leggy kind right. of, you know, looping around. like how did he do that? Right. How does a person that looks like that do that? You know He
0: he's looked like I'm not gonna say vintage Steven Gerard, but he's looked like Liverpool almost winning the title in twenty thirteen Steven Gerard. Or twenty fourteen. Uh he, He's looked very good for them. He's been spraying passes saying is like the he, field. He's he, been mobile. He looks
3: like 2008 yeah. David Beckham or something like exactly. that. Exactly, you know? which
0: really is Still a great good, player to have. Yeah, yeah. Uh, And then they've gotten contributions from guys like Emmanuel Boateng and uh, Giovanni Dos Santos is on the role now. And I think he might actually be the key player here. Dos Santos is the guy who needs to step up and make this his team. Gerard, at this point, he's a huge name, but he's a role player within the Galaxy's system.
3: Trying to watch watch WVS sink this free kick real quick.
2: My question with Dos Santos, uh, you know, you say that he needs to make it his team, but where does the guy whose team it has been the last couple of years fit in, uh, Robbie Keane? You know, Dos Santos has been doing this with with Keane injured. Right. Uh, So when Keane's back... Um, you know where where do the two of them fit in in the lineup? Can they both be scoring a lot of goals and playing at a high level? That's
0: a very good question because also a part of this whole equation has been Jossi Zardes has been playing better because he's actually back up top playing underneath Dos Santos because Keen is out. So what do you do with Jossi Zardes? They have a lot of weapons, a lot of players to fill in the field. It's you know it's a good problem to have, but it's going to be tricky for Bruce Arena to keep all those egos happy and to. Uh, get the most out of his players
3: what about new york which one the red bulls i mean same sort of oh, bounce I was back. talk
0: about the cosmos
3: <laughs> <laughs> i think yeah. we've done enough of that for today um red bulls and even columbus uh, all look to have sort of temporarily temporarily at least i guess gotten back on track
0: i assume the crew would be fine once they brought back the yellow uniform so that's really <laughs> did you
3: notice that we they did. just without saying anything they just started wearing the yellow uniforms again
0: yeah, like Instead that, of
3: their partially yeah. downloaded unicorn vomit, whatever the fuck th- <laughs> those ones are. You know?
0: Yeah, the, And to be clear, they didn't, like, bring in the new jersey as a third kit. It came into – the yellow jersey was killed off, dead, and buried, and it was resurrected because presumably someone in Columbus decided to have a little common sense and realized that's one of the best jerseys in MLS.
2: And speaking – of uh, having an identity, um, which very yes. few MLS clubs have their own, but Columbus, they're yellow,
3: and there's no other yellow teams. Yeah, it'd be like if the Dynamo did away with their orange uniforms.
0: Or if DC and I did away with, like, the classic three stripes across the front. Or became with, uh, oh, jersey. Oh, started oh, playing wait.
3: attractive soccer or something. <laughs>
2: if DC, if Bobby Boswell stopped playing <laughs> 10, 50-yard long passes up to no one. Yeah. What, what would D.C. United be then?
3: That's like one of the – watching him bomb forward from the press box is one of the only enjoyable moments about covering a D.C. United <laughs> game. <laughs> we, I know when it's happening because without fail, Thomas or you will, will alert me. It's happening. <laughs> he's like, Look, it's, it's happening. It's he's happen- doing it. He's it's doing happening.
2: It. Uh, yeah, I mean, guaranteed they're down by a goal or two in the last ten minutes of the game. I, it's going to happen.
0: I need to find a clip. Uh, his rookie year, Bobby Boswell did that on the Jameel Walker goal against Chivas USA, and it worked beautifully. Like he went all the still, way,
3: still trying to re, you know recapture that glory.
0: Right. Like Boswell carried the ball all the way down the field, teed up Jameel Walker, gorgeous assist. I've been trying to find the clip, and I, it's somewhere in the MLS archives, but I can't. I can't. He's been trying it.
2: to replicate it ever since. All right, guys, we need to. <clears throat>
3: I think that's about enough. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm looking uh, on the outline here. I had here. the There's instant a...
0: replay on the, uh, yeah. the end oh, of the looks outline. Like, looks like we missed oh, that okay.
3: one again, Thomas.
2: All right. Thanks for listening. Thanks to Eric Stover for joining us. We will talk to you guys soon.